The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kia ora everybody, I'm not Jane. Uh, I know that's an unfamiliar and possibly distressing voice to hear uh, in the real pod feed. And I'm about to give you something that's not the real pod, so apologies in advance for that. But I think you might be interested. I'm Duncan Grieve. I normally am one third of the real pod, but I also have this side hustle called The Fold, where I talk about the media. And it might be tangentially relevant to real pod interest at times, but this week, I spoke to John Wilde, who is the series producer and director of The Apprentice Aotearoa and has also worked on shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette and New Zealand's Next Top Model. And it just felt like at the back of it, I was like, mm, I think the real pod would be would be into this. So if you didn't catch it on the fold, we're popping it in here. If you've already listened to it, just, uh, just skate on by. But if not, um, check it out and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Thank you. No my hooky my kia the fold e mihine ko Duncan Grey tokunwa. My guest this week is John Wilde, who was the series producer and director of The Apprentice Aotearoa, which, ah, oh man. So I do another podcast uh, called The Real Pod, where we talk about reality TV every week. And The, the Apprentice was, I don't know, one of, one of the most fun things to talk about and watch. It was. It's a throwback in that while reality TV has evolved to become two, three, four nights a week, often an hour and a half long, it's basically just sort of eaten the schedule alive uh, and and lost, for me, some of its uh, magic in the process. Uh, the, the Apprentice was a tight, once a week, hour long show and it, incredible cast, it was it was. It had these beautiful kind of comic touches, but by the end it was it was all heart um, and and a very sincere process. And the winner Ness, who who guessed it on the real part, is is just a phenomenon and a really just a very inspiring person. And I think she'll go on to great things. But I, I kind of think they all will. They, they they were sort of moved by the process. And you don't you never know what you're getting when you go into a series of reality television, whether it'll be a, just sort of a a cheap cynical time filler or whether the magic will happen and that's what 
makes it, you know, the, the unscripted nature of it and, and the, the fact that the volatility between the, the worst of it and the best of it is just such a huge gulf is, is what makes it so compelling. There, I know that for a lot of people, they have, have issues with the with reality TV, whether it's the, the aesthetic of it or, or even the fact of it, but um, I'm certainly not among them. So that's why it was such a privilege to sit down with John, who has worked on so many of, I think, the, the best reality uh, shows. He worked on seasons two and three of New Zealand's Next Top Model, worked on The Bachelor and, and lately the, the Apprentice. And, you know, it was a way of addressing some of those uh, critiques, especially the, the producer manipulation, which he talks about, uh, getting a sense of how important casting is and the just the way that the New Zealand character and our sort of more reserved nature feeds into uh, the, our reality TV. I think it's a it's a it's a pretty fun chat. Uh, might, might not be for everyone, but if you if you've ever watched and enjoyed reality TV and wondered how it was made, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Just before we get into it, I have to uh, thank Vodafone. Uh, the Fold is proudly supported by Vodafone. The spinoff runs on Vodafone's network technology and relies on it ever more by the day. So if you run a business and need network technology, which you do, then uh, check out vodafone.co.nz. This is John Wilde on The Fold. Uh, kia ora, John, and welcome to The Fold. Kia ora. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm really curious. I mean, we, we, there's so, so much to talk about in terms of your career in, in uh, the, the, the glorious industry that is reality TV. But I wanted to, to start by asking you what your path into, into the genre was. Um, funnily enough, uh, far away from reality TV industry, it was um, actually started off in sports broadcast in the UK, uh, B Sky B, the behemoth that is B Sky B, working um, under some incredible people there and learning the craft of making media and, uh, and bits and pieces and producing and directing. And then towards the end of my spell there, I was there for a fair few years, I managed, somebody passed on a show that was kind of like an insert into a rugby magazine show. It was only two or three minute inserts, but it was about using the power of sport and rugby in particular to help disenfranchise children, boys in particular, on this occasion, to um, take them and to, to give them a way forward in life. So we took a couple of former rugby internationals um, and normally took these children from, they were from Liverpool, North Wales, some pretty tough areas to grow up in, and use these um, internationals to, to give them a positive outlook in life and show them that there is a chance if you put yourself into something. So from there, that was basically my first taste of, of reality TV. Um, and I was hooked. I loved it. Because, I mean, in some ways there are more connections between, or as many connections between sports broadcasting and reality as reality and drama in the sense of being unscripted and, uh, you know, like um, uh, on some level, at least when you're shooting, it's a live environment. Did, you know, in what way did, the, the, did sports help inform the, the way that you approached reality? Well, it's, it's that live environment. It's, it's being able to cover emotions as they unfold. And just like in sports, reality TV is fairly the same. You never really know where it's going to go. You never know which, where the story is going to go. Um, and sometimes every now and again, um, things unfold that, 
the best script writers could never dream up. You know, the, you just just these events come through that you just say, it's just incredible. Um, incredible stories, incredible emotion. And that's what I got, and that's what I loved about live sports was, and I think I saw it yesterday, big old Tom Walsh, this big Cantabrian, won a bronze medal, which a few people would thought, you know, would have thought he'd be a bit disappointed with. And him breaking down on, on national TV yesterday, um, it's bringing tears to my eyes now. It's, um, it's just incredible, you know, watching this big guy get emotional and he just looks so happy. And I felt so happy for him. And I, I love that about sport. And, and, I, and that's why I also love, you know, what I do in reality TV. Were you were you a fan of the genre prior to like was I was it having been a consumer of it that drew you in or was it the experience of making that that rugby show like and and have you yeah so just just talk through your relationship with it as a consumer as opposed to a creator I think there was this oh yeah I was a consumer definitely I mean I kind of grew up around the time when reality TV came through the first Big Brother in the UK um, there was this one show in the UK that I watched for years and years that went on forever as um, Come Dine With Me. Oh, incredible show. We only got one season of that in, uh, you know, New Zealand franchise. But that that was a... And it's an interesting marker in some ways for The Apprentice Aotearoa and t- uh, tonally, which we'll, which we'll get to later. So, yeah, talk to me about your relationship with, with that masterpiece. It's just It just felt so real. It was just real people in a real environment in their own rooms. Um just cooking for each other and and then you add in that little bit of competitiveness mm. probably on that show they added in a few drops of wine <laughs> um, and then you just watch it go and it unfolds and and it's it was I think also I think it was the first time I really saw narration being used as a comedic tool um, to help it along. Um, and that's, I think that's what really sparked my imagination and where you can go with the genre. Yeah, um, that it doesn't always have to be sort of high intensity or you can leave in that with um, with moments of, of comedy, which I think all three yeah, all three of the shows we'll talk about, New Zealand's Next Top Model, uh, The Bachelor and um, particularly The Apprentice Aotearoa did, did very well. I mean, because growing up, or sort of that, that decade in the UK, 2000, 2010, when reality TV sort of ate the, the television world in a way, um, there was, it's funny, it reminds me of when the there was this like musicians union in the UK, which tried to get the synthesizer banned in the 70s. It felt like the, the sort of the elites of uh television drama and comedy found the idea of reality TV such an affront and they tried to sort of create these intellectual and almost um, you know put up a wall that, that said this this thing this reality TV thing cannot infect our industry do you recall those those debates and what was your response to them I was probably a bit young when reality TV came in and I probably didn't really care too much at that point um, about the intellect um, never really have done um, so I wasn't really in, involved in 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 that, I just enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, for me, it's just on a pure basis on on a, on a basic entertainment level. Are you left feeling satisfied at the end of the show? Um, that for me is what it's always come down to. Um, and I'll let for other people to debate, to debate whether it's got intellectual merits or whether it's destabilizing society or whatever they think it's doing. But um, <laughs> for me, it just comes down to entertainment and it always comes down to 
people like watching people. Um, so, and if you can capture that in an authentic way, um, then that's that's all we try and do. Do you think well, you know, one thing which we've talked about on on the real part, which is our the reality TV podcast I, I do alongside this, about the way that the New Zealand character is a bit more reserved. You've got a smaller population base to begin with, and so the the talent pool can be quite hit and miss in terms of the quality and the way that you, you know, the natural, say, American, Australian, even um, certain parts of English, you know, even though they have the stiff upper lip kind of reputation, personalities, um, you know, you don't have that that kind of naturally aggressive, um, extroverted personality type isn't uh, a cliche of New Zealand. Did you find that in the various roles you've had, whether it's, I don't know to what extent you've been involved in the, the casting process, that trying to get the that that reticent New Zealander out of its shell and, and giving you what you need to make the television was, was hard at times? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because um, <laughs> I always kind of question myself why I moved to New Zealand to work in reality TV. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I could have gone anywhere. Uh, my, wife's, my wife's Kiwi and I'm, I'm glad we've ended up here. It's a fabulous country. And, um, but, um, yeah, it hasn't been easy. Um, uh, but that's not to say you can't get the same results. Um, yes, Americans, yes, Australians are more outward in their emotions from a pretty early stage. But I think I think you do get the same thing from Kiwis. I think they just have to you have to earn their respect a bit more. Um, I think it's all in there. They, you know, every, everyone's got it in them. They just have to trust you a little bit more, and then they have to realise that you're not out there to 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 get anything negative out there uh, from them. Um, you're just out there to to show them as they are, and and hopefully that's what we do. Right. Are you though? <laughs> yeah, because the, the the reputation or the, the certainly the um, standing myth of reality TV is that that producers or the the production um, to use a catch all manipulates people um, into doing or saying things that they'll later regret. Um, and you know, the, there was that show Unreal a few years ago, which provided a very sort of amplified version of that and might have contributed to the myth in some respects. But, you, you know, did, when you look back over, you know, a, a good decade in, in New Zealand reality TV, do you do you feel like, yeah, to what extent has, has that been true? Like, do, do people come out of it? Feeling like they were well represented, or um, or do they feel in, in some sense betrayed at times? I think you can approach it in a different, in lots of different ways. Um, I can only talk about my approach, um, and what I try to do when I'm making these shows is make it an authentic, possible as 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 authentic a process as possible. Um, for me, I want the contestants, the cast, to believe in what we're doing um, and, and and for them to trust us that we're not going to make them into, into personalities that they're not, which is also an extremely difficult thing to do. You can't, in the edit suite, to be able to change someone's personality is very hard. Now, what does happen occasionally is you do get people coming along who maybe don't understand their effect on other people, 
Um, and then when that gets shown on TV, they, you know, they quite rightly think, well, that's not who I am. Um, we, from, from my perspective, the way that I like to shoot, we, we don't change people at, at all. We don't change their personalities. What they say, they say. And we always tell them that up front, that whenever they come and join with us, anything they say, it's kind of like the Miranda rights can all be used. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they're very aware of that from the start. But um, in terms of manipulating people and, and changing their characteristics and personalities, it's not something that we go into doing. It's not something that's easily achieved. It's not something I think on a, on a New Zealand budget you can do. I mean, that, that New Zealand budget thing is interesting because does that in part how much you shoot, how covered they are. Because you look at something like Married at First Sight Australia, which it feels like they're everywhere all the time. And, you know, I mean, that's an interesting show. Like, are there any shows which you look at and you go, this is incredibly entertaining. I couldn't work on that. Like, is there a line for you internally? Because I look at that show and I find it so compelling, but I'm not sure that it should be allowed to exist in the world. Yeah. And there are others like it too. Totally Married at First Sight. I love watching it, but I can't tear myself away from it. But I... Morally, could I work on that show? I don't think so. I find it fascinating. I can't. I'm, I love talking reality TV. I find that show fascinating because I mean, we're talking about New Zealand budget, and yeah, we do struggle for coverage. If you watch the American shows, you watch the UK shows. They've got cameras filming twenty four seven, and they're not. The contestants aren't allowed out from the microscope. It's harder here because there are breaks. They know at the end of the day we're going to stop filming. Um, and then they can get their release there. Um, on the bigger budgets, you know, there is no release. Whereas Married at First Sight, the first time I've ever seen it, they constructed pretty much a whole series for, on the last series that happened off camera. Mm. The whole sort of in, party. In, in, Merit, in New Zealand? Uh, in, sorry, in the Australian version I'm talking about. Yeah. And it was just phenomenal how some they obviously weren't filming the party and whatever happened there on the previous series. But then that became this editorial line for the whole show. And we don't know what it was about. They didn't cover it. But they very cleverly it's managed so to clever. weave it in. Yeah. Um, and that is what a good reality TV producer does. It's They didn't try and recreate it. They knew it was gone. They knew it was lost. They knew they didn't cover it. And they're like, well, what do we do now? And they just said, well, we'll just roll with it. Mm. That's the only thing you can do. And that's that's fantastic production. Have you enjoyed the way, or, or do you have a perspective on the way that production is increasingly visible within the shows? That the pretense of we're just shooting here, suddenly, you know, at times you see producers on camera, that they, they, there's audio of them speaking, you'll see them walking out of the sets into these weird, like, um, back areas. Like, have you enjoyed that development? Or, or do you, yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah, it's it's very uh, new. I like it. It's great. Um, uh, you know, and I guess it's part of the reason why I'm I'm here talk, talking about it. It's 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 great to open up on it. You know, for a long time, Hollywood's been very open about what they do um, and making films, you know, filming behind the scenes, showing you know showing you know the the what they can create um, on you know with with sets and you know and it's all make believe and you watch it you know with green screens and what they do to to create the 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 wonderful films that they make and it's the same with reality tv it's 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 not a documentary um so we you know we, we have to use what we've got 
um, to to make the show ent- entertaining. And 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 you know, part of it is the fact that you know the crew do have to get involved from time to time. Um, so when that happens, it it becomes part of the show. Um, it impacts on the contestants. So absolutely, has I, I I think it has to be filmed. And in a lot of ways, it is a bit of a counter to the idea that there's this manipulation. Or at the very least, if you the more you show of it, the more the um, you know the, the the harder it is to kind of level that critique because you're starting to see the construction on television as well as the um, you know the what, you know the, the intended action. We're just going to take a very quick break and come back with more from John Wilde on the fold. Kia ora, Justin Giovanetti here, and I'm the political editor at The Spinoff. This podcast, like so much of the work we do at The Spinoff, is made possible by the support of our members. To find out more about The Spinoff members and how you can help us keep producing quality, independent journalism, visit members.thespinoff.co.nz and do it today. I want to talk about, uh, I think it was your first big New Zealand reality show, and uh, one of my my favourite, one of the ones that really hooked me into the genre was New Zealand's Next Top Model. Uh, a not uncomplicated show. You're dealing with very young uh, women and you know, some, some of them essentially still, still children. Um, but that was electric television uh, when you kind of, uh, at, at the time, and I think kind of, was one of the first big international fr- franchises that really felt like it had a truly kind of New Zealand flavour to it. T- tell me about uh, working on that. I think I'd just come over from the UK, and I think it was my first job here. Um, and I managed, I'd worked with John McDonald before on um, the 2007 World Cup in, in Paris at MediaWorks. Um, and they... I, they said they were doing top model, and I was like, "Well, I'll come and direct." I've done a done a show in the UK, and they're like, "Oh wow, well, it must be like the show I did was very basic grassroots." Um, I came in and I met John Anna Lynch, the producer, um, and blagged to them that I could I could direct this thing. Um, they believed it, and uh, away we go. I remember the next thing I am I'm in Wellington. I remember standing there, and it was like my first day, and there were hundreds of people walking around, and there was like a cast of twenty girls and there were 15 there's a big walk-in there were cranes and, and I was like just waiting and I was just standing there and like people were looking at me and I was looking at them and they were like are you gonna do anything I was like oh action <laughs> <laughs> there we go there we go let's go um so uh, and then jumped into it from there and loved the process um and and working with a great great production crew so um working under Anna Lynch um, who's an incredible producer, learned a lot from her. Um, and also with a great, great um, talent working with Colin, Colin Mathura Jeffrey, which was a very interesting, exciting experience every day. <laughs> yeah, he's an exceptional human. Uh, the that, that also, we, we recently rewatched the first season um, for, for the podcast on, based on the 10th anniversary, and you're really struck by the, that was a big budget show. You know, they're, they're just flying around New Zealand. It d- doesn't feel like there's any expense spared. There is more reality TV being made, it feels like now, but are, are, there, do you, are the budget shrinking or like what's, what's your kind of sense of how creative you need to be to give you, especially certainly the amount of TV you're having to create, you know, as these things stretch over multiple nights is, you know, those things were so tight as a drum back in the day and that's actually what was lovely about uh, The Apprentice Aotearoa, that it was... 
an old school throwback, just an hour a week. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, it is. I, I agree. I think sometimes if if you're force fed everything too quickly and you just binge watch it, you don't get a chance to think about things too much. Um, so I I love the fact that it's it's an hour a week and and you build that into anticipation each week. And at the end of the episode, you're like, oh, damn, I've got to wait a week for it. Um, but um, no. In terms of budgets, I mean, I, I I can't say too much about the budgets. I mean, I didn't work on on Top Model Series One, um, so I can't say I had had any. Uh, but even the thing you're describing, the, the cranes and all that kind of yeah. thing, I don't know if that's like, there's probably still some of that. But, oh, um, there, there, there is still some of that. I yeah. mean, um, but you use your money where where you can, um, and and the great thing about reality TV is, although it's great to make things look wonderful um, and scenic. The important thing is the people. Um, the important thing is the content. Um, Some of the greatest uh, scenes in reality TV history have been like a static shot of a toilet door with um, people on microphones saying some very indiscreet stuff behind it. You know, so, absolutely. Yeah. It's. Um, I, I mean, I've uh, some some of the best camera work I've ever seen from from some talented people down down the years has been them obscuring themselves away so that they don't impact on the content and and just hiding away rather than you'd mm. have thought mo- you thought most cameras would get out there and put cameras in the faces but sometimes you just have to retreat um, and that's down to the operator and how they feel it and um, and you know you end up with a really wonky framing or you know of kind of like just somebody's half a face or something in there but you're getting real content and that's always the gold that's always what you strive for uh, so, so when it comes to, I mean, on, on those three shows, but, uh, Bachelor. So you were season one of The Bachelor, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, were, were you a sort of? I mean, that that's again become quite an iconic uh, season, and and certainly, it's very rare for for any international franchise to persist as long as The Bachelor and now Bachelorette has in New Zealand. Were you sort of aware that, that that one was a bit different from from your average in terms of you know the, the quality of the, the casting and the storylines you were getting? You kind of know when you're filming um, whether you're getting you're getting what you want. Um, and on the Bachelor, it took a wee while to get into it. Um, Art was a bit reticent at first to get, to get stuck in, um, but um, you just knew when when we we're in the middle of it, um, and even from an early days, it was it was fun. Um, the cast were having fun. The crew were having fun. Um, it was hard. It's always hard um, and pretty stressful. But that's that's kind of like why why we do what we do. Um, but it was it was a very enjoyable show to work on. Um, I think everyone believed in in what they were doing, and and it was. And I think you know, and it all comes down to the fact that the the contestants really believed in it and genuinely liked Arthur. He's quite likeable guy. <laughs> Annoyingly so. <laughs> um, it, what was it, when, when you're working on a show that is not just competitive, but also has the, the, the added element of, like, you're trying to find love here, like it's you're playing with people's deepest emotions, what, was that a bit of a, and, and there were a lot on that, like Danny, I think in particular, was, was left pretty... Hurt, uh, you know, like well, she was invested. Was was 
you know, what, what, how did you kind of have to evolve the the, the craft to kind of, or, or, or what did you sort of learn through that uh, that process? Yeah, at, at the start, it was um, it was a very positive thing for me. It was always it's the ultimate prize, <laughs> you know, finding finding the love of your life. Yeah, and that's how I sold it um, to myself and to other people. It was, and then. You know, it was the first time I'd done a show like that that involved people's emotions. And I began, you know, towards the end when, when you know, the everyone was really starting to get invested in each other. I, I saw the potential then that, you know, people are going to be heartbroken at the end of this. And that was hard. That was hard. I think what maybe people don't understand is that we really do bond with the contestants. Um, we feel the emotions that they feel. Um, and to see people heartbroken at the end is not what we're after. It's it's, it's an inevitable byproduct, but it's not what you're there for. It's not what we're there for. Well, I mean, I'm always there for the end result, for the winner, that moment of glorification and, and, and happiness. But along the way, someone's got to lose. Um, and when you have a format like that, which is based around people's emotions um, and heartfelt feelings, then it's a, it's a big drop for them. Did, that, that show is notorious, or, or the Mike Fly shows, uh, are um, for, for their Bible, the, the extent to which the, the whole thing is quite tightly, um, you know, like the, not, not scripted, but, but kind of controlled. Uh, how is it working with, with those? Like, like, you know, do, do you learn a lot from that? Are they constricting? What's, what's, the, um, what's the vibe? Interesting. Yeah, we got um, on on the Apprentice Aotearoa. We got sent um, a Bible um, by MGM, and it was um, for season one of the US uh, Apprentice. Really? So I just <laughs> hadn't touched it. And and it was like, okay, um, let's let's. And we we took a lot out of it. Um, don't get me wrong. Um, are, you, are you bound by it, or is it just something to help you make it? No, it's something to help us. Right. Um, we're not bound by it, but at the same time, there are key format points yeah. that you wouldn't want to and, and cannot well, otherwise, change. Otherwise, I mean, that's kind of what you're paying for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the difficult one on on The Apprentice is obviously the you're fired comment, mm. which seems very dated nowadays. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't really happen in a New Zealand context in the same way. We don't have fire at will. Like legally, it's it's uh, it doesn't really work like that here. No, and it was difficult, and it was um, I think it was difficult for Mike um, to say every time. Um, not easy for for anyone. <laughs> they finger points. We're going to get to that. <laughs> we probably probably should. Uh, what, how rate him on his finger pointing? And uh, you know, do, do you believe that our ranking accurately captured? His progression as a finger pointer over the course of the series. Oh, he improved. <laughs> oh, he, yeah. By by the end of it, that that was a scary finger. He never <laughs> wanted it to come anywhere near you. That's for sure. Um, so that that let's let's talk about the Apprentice Altero. Did you have any kind of apprehension coming into it based on the fact that the the big star of the U.S. Apprentice had been you know, the, probably the worst president and, and one of the most, like, toxic forces in, in, in humanity. And, and ha- at the time it was announced, he was still in office. Like, that the brand had been tainted by that? Um, you know what? I didn't. Um, I was lucky enough, coming from the UK, to have watched The Apprentice UK from its inception um, and seen it grow. 
Um, and I've always thought that that was a, just an absolutely wonderful masterpiece. Um, to and, and I just tried to replicate that version. So, I mean, it's quite interesting. Every country has a little twist on things. Um, it kind of reveals their sort of business culture in some respects. It right? does. And it was, it was a lot more grassroots, a lot more down to earth. You know, it, 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 it showed the contestants going to business estates and working out of, you know, just factories and, and, and showing, the, you know, the, the dirty side of business, you know, and, and the hard graft mm. side of business, which is where um, Lord Sugar came from. So they embraced all of that side of things. And that's, and I knew that if we embraced that side, that's a much more Kiwi version of, of business, you know, just kind of like that, that grassroots startup connection which is what Kiwis are fantastic at, wonderfully creative, um, and also dogged in their, their pursuit to get their startups going. You, you, got, you were, like, blessed with this cast. <laughs> like, it's, it's just such a special group, um, both the contestants and, and the judges. Were, were, you, were you involved in that process? And, and like, how, how confident were you going? Did, you know, did you have an inkling again going in that, you know, this was going to be one of the, the all-time... <laughs> yeah, the casting process is always really interesting. Sometimes you get thousands of applications, and and sometimes you get forty two. Yeah, um, is this more of a forty two? Like this, I, I was just talking to a friend who um, you know checked in on LinkedIn for the first time in three months and found a message from a, saying, would, "Would you like to be on The Apprentice?" <laughs> we we had a wonderful casting producer who worked incredibly hard to, to spread the net far and wide. Mm. Um, uh, and you know we put out a, a call to action through through TVNZ and the network um, helped host that facilitate that. At the end of the day, we, we we didn't get many applications in. The ones we got in were absolute gold. Yeah, and that's, that's in some ways that's better, right, than dealing with thousands of people queuing out the door and all of them duds. You know, it's it saved a lot of time and effort. But it's and you get the videos in, you never really. But that I and then I come in and I kind of like met them all and then yeah and it was we knew from an early stage that we had the the right cast because it's 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 so different to to making any other kind of tv especially sort of drama where drama you put all your efforts into your script um and then you know you know and you hire hire sorry um incredible script writers and and develop the stories and you know what you've got to start off with um, and, and what we do, it's your script is in the cast, as someone once told me. Uh, you know, it's it's all about the casting. Um, and, and and if you don't have the right cast, then you won't end up with the product that that you're after. Yeah, I know. It was it was a very special season. Uh, that's that's all we have time for. But thank you so much uh, for for coming on on here, John. Absolutely loved uh, loved your work, and and particularly the the Apprentice is just. I'll remember that a long time. So, yeah, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Can I quickly say it wasn't just me. There's a whole big factory behind me kind of making it work out. So, um, but thanks for bringing me in. Cheers. That was John Wilde on The Fold. Uh, I just want to thank Tiahe Butler for recording me today, uh, Jane Yee for running the Spin-Off Podcast Network, the Spin-Off members for making the Spin-Off happen every single day, and Vodafone for bringing you The Fold. Cheers.
Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.